Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. This week, we're going to talk to Ari Berman from Mother Jones about this rash of uh, voter restrictions uh, being passed in red states, premised, of course, on Trump's big lie about the election, the 2020 election being stolen. Then we're going to be joined by Heather Digby Parton, uh, salon columnist, as you know, and um, writer at her own place. And we're going to talk about how um, the GOP is trying very, very hard to move on from the uh, January 6th attacks. Um, but first, a couple of items in the news that you may have missed. Uh, this first one is related to the uh, the the Capitol riot. And I love this piece. This was reported in the Washington Post on Thursday. Uh, there's a guy named Richard Machete. He took a break from the rioting, according to the story, to argue with his ex-girlfriend over text. So he's texting back and forth with his ex-girlfriend. And he says to her, if you can't see the election was stolen, you're a moron. So the next day, the woman he had insulted promptly told the FBI that her ex was at the Capitol, handing over to law enforcement the string of texts, photos, and videos he had sent her. Now, I've listen, I've made some mistakes in um, relationships in the past. And one mistake that I have not yet made, and I may not make, I may get through my life without making this, is um, texting insults to an ex while I'm committing a crime and, and confessing to that crime. It's, it's not a, it's not a really smart thing to do. If you think about it, um, let's see what else we have. The, um, there's a bill being presented in South Carolina. Um, this is from the state, uh, South Carolina Republican files bill to allow Donald Trump to be buried on state house grounds. So I guess, um, I guess they want his, his fetid corpse. <laughs> I don't want it. I'm I'm in New York. It's fine. I say give it to him. Give it to them in South Carolina. Uh, according to the piece, a Republican state legislator wants to give former President Donald Trump the option of making the state house grounds his final resting place. Um, the um, the bill um, would require the South Carolina Department of Administration to offer any president acquitted of impeachment twice. <laughs> I'm not making this up, folks. Any president acquitted of impeachment twice to be buried on statehouse grounds. <laughs> and hey, look, um, Donald Trump, you know, he he. this is a success that no other president will have. No other president will ever be acquitted from impeachment twice. <laughs> and folks, you can't take that away from him. You can't take that away from him. Uh, what are conservatives furious about today? Well, I'll tell you what conservatives are furious about today. Um, Mr. Potato Head has gone gender neutral, and um, they're not happy about it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. That's right. This is the big grievance today. Um, Mark Dice, a right-wing conspiracy theory, he says that Mr. Potato has, Head has been canceled. He's outraged, and he wants to secede from the union. He thinks uh, Republican states should should secede over this. And this is a, a, a major, uh, apparently a major freakout, which is pretty pretty entertaining. On a more serious note, um, there was a piece in Business Insider this week about how Fox News uh, has embraced... Um, vaccine covid the covid-19 vaccines in a way to in a, in a in an attempt to undermine 
Joe Biden. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around being so cynical and so partisan that you would um, you would spread anti-vax nonsense, basically, because you don't want a new Democratic administration to get to get credit for bringing the pandemic to an end. That is their cause for this. And this is Tucker Carlson, uh, Laura Ingram, who had Robert F. Kennedy on her podcast. Kennedy is, of course, a a leading anti-vaxxer. Sean Hannity has done this. um, And they're all all fostering doubt among uh, Republicans about the efficacy and safety of the vaccine. It's madness. I mean, these are the same people who encouraged them to go maskless and who decried the... uh, you know, the efficacy of or, or claim that there was no um, no justification for social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. And also who told everybody to take hydrochloroquine, how do you, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, that's the way it is, um, to make the COVID go away. By the way, I have scheduled a shot on Monday and um, I was I was telling David Edwards, our producer before the show that I've put on 16 pounds during the pandemic. So I'm a little, I'm a little plump right now, to tell you the truth. And what I realized is that this got me over 30% BMI, which makes me eligible for the vaccine, even though I'm under 65. And I was like, you know, I was like, am I, am I skipping ahead? Is this unethical? But then I realized, you know what? They made this law. Uh, they said that people with a BMI over 30% are eligible. And I am, I am that it is not, I'm not cheating anybody. I'm not cheating anybody, but I have to tell you, I have such a sense of relief. I have such a sense of relief. It's hard. It's hard to overstate it. And I will also say this. Um, every state has its own distribution system, but I got an appointment by sitting there in my computer. I came to a page that said, no appointments available within, you know, my zip code or whatever. Um, and I just kept, re- I kept refreshing that page over and over and over again for about 45 minutes until someone had canceled an appointment and it came up, there's an, an, an appointment available um, on March 1st and I grabbed it. It's worth the effort. It is worth the effort. So you might want to, might want to do that if you are eligible. And also there's uh, reports that there is going to be a uh, significant new vaccine supply uh, coming online in the, in the weeks to come weeks and certainly months to come. So they're probably going to be uh, relaxing the eligibility requirements. There's word in New York where I am um, that they're going to lower the age from 65 to 55 in the coming weeks. Anyway, the vaccines are a miracle. I hope that everybody will um, ignore the anti-vax nonsense and get a vaccine. It's really, really important. And on that note, let's take a quick break and um, we'll come back in just a moment with Ari Berman. Stay tuned. People all around me, and they're all in fear. 
Welcome back. I'm still Joshua Holland. I'm joined now by arguably the country's leading reporter on the voting rights beat. Um, Ari Berman is a writer with Mother Jones and the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, which I highly recommend. And by the way, you can go back to the archive and listen to our discussion when Ari's book came out. Um, Ari, welcome to We've Got Issues. Hey, Josh, thanks a lot for having me get it. I was I was just saying that this interview was really well timed because I invited Arian to discuss this wave of new voter restrictions being passed in the states. And then he dropped a piece titled Republicans are taking their voter suppression efforts to new extremes at motherjones.com. And I hope that listeners will go and check out the piece because we're not going to be able to get in as great a detail as Ari does. You write that the Brennan Center for Justice found 253 bills to restrict voting access um, have been introduced in 40 states, 40 plus states this year, and it's not even the end of February. And all of this is premised on the same big lie um, that there was widespread irregularities, voter fraud um, that resulted in a deadly rampage at the Capitol, not even two months back. 
it feels like they're throwing the kitchen sink at it. I wonder if you could give us kind of a bird's eye view of what kind of bills are moving through these legislatures. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Josh. I mean, when Trump kept saying the election was stolen and lying about irregularities, uh, I always thought that so many Republicans refused to denounce him, not because they believed it, but because they knew this would be useful to them in the future, that they could manufacture a controversy. They could then point to that controversy that they manufactured as a reason to then pass all of these new suppression laws, which of course is exactly what has been happening in state and state and state across the country. They're basically saying, well, people are concerned about the integrity of the election, so we need to do something about it. Well, they're only concerned about it because the leader of their party lied so many times and they refused to denounce those lies, or at least almost all of them did. So the, the kind of things we're seeing, a lot of them revolve around trying to roll back mail voting, uh, which is the kind of thing that Republicans claim um, Democrats abused, but more likely Democrats just used it more than they did for the first time in 2020 because they were more concerned with the pandemic. So doing things like getting rid of no excuse absentee voting in places like Georgia. So you need to have an excuse now um, to get an absentee, which makes it much more restrictive and many fewer people uh, can use it or preventing election officials from sending out absentee ballot applications or uh, eliminating lists like in Arizona and Florida, where people automatically get a mail ballot uh, if they have voted by mail in the past. Those are the kind of things we're seeing with regards to mail voting. Um, but it's not exclusive to mail voting. They're doing things like cutting early voting, for example, cutting the number of days of early voting. Iowa just passed the bill cutting eight days of early voting, eliminating voting on the weekends. Georgia has pushed a proposal to eliminate early voting days on the weekends. And this is, to me, really instructive because it has nothing to do with, quote unquote, election integrity. There is absolutely no evidence that early voting leads to any kind of fraud. Uh, Trump himself encouraged his voters to vote early in person. Uh, and it's really just about making the voting process more convenient. So the fact that they are talking about taking away options to vote by mail, but then also taking away options to vote in person just goes to show you that they really just want to make voting more difficult in general based on a belief that Republicans do better when fewer people vote. And the, the, the case study for that, of course, is the 2020 election when there was record voter turnout, and that led to the election of Joe Biden and led to the election of Democratic senators in states like Georgia. And that Georgia bill, um, and you mentioned when we were doing our pre-interview that it has been changing and they've been updating it. At one point, they were specifically barring voting on Sundays, which is a very targeted thing because that's the um, so-called um, Souls to the Polls program is a venerated uh, black turnout um, campaign in black churches. And uh, they on Sunday go to go to church, go to service, and then go to vote, and and that seems extremely explicit, really blatant. Exactly, there was a bill introduced in the Georgia House of Representatives to ban uh, Sunday voting, as you mentioned, when Black churches do souls to the polls. Voter mobilization drives in Georgia. Uh, black voters are about 30% of the electorate, but they're 37% of those that vote on Sundays. When North Carolina tried to ban Sunday voting a few years ago, uh, the state of North Carolina actually told a federal court that counties that use Sunday voting uh, were disproportionately African-American and disproportionately Democratic. And the court then struck that down 
as what they called as close to a smoking gun as you'll see in modern times, given that there was such a correlation between Sunday voting and use by black voters. Uh, so that was really, really uh, telling the fact that uh, Georgia Republicans uh, introduced that. There has now been some pushback and evidently, they are now going to allow counties to add an extra day of early voting on the weekend. So there might be you might be able to have early voting on one Saturday. You might be able to have early voting on one Sunday. But that is still a cutback from what Georgia had in 2020, because in places like Fulton County in Atlanta, there were two Saturdays of early voting and two Sundays of early voting. And this is really, really important because a ton of people use early voting in states like Georgia. And not only that, there's been extremely long lines at the polls. There were 11 hour lines during early voting in Atlanta in the in the run up to the, the, the general election. So any days that you eliminate on voting, particularly days when a lot of people vote, that's going to lead to longer lines at the polls. I know even up here where, where I am and where you are, there was 10 days of early voting in New York and the lines were so long on the weekends. So you take away time that people have to vote and that's just going to lead to longer lines, particularly on days like the weekends when it's very, very convenient for people to vote because a lot of people don't work then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to a point that you made that this is Republicans um, – you know, take Donald Trump's claims of fraud and embrace them as a justification to restrict voting. Uh, you know, that is something that's been going on for for as long as I've been watching politics, observing politics. Right. It's it's nothing new. Um, the Republican Party has been claiming that voter, you know, in-person voter ID fraud is common uh, and pushing voter ID laws for that for, you know, 20 years now, despite effort after effort, failed effort after effort to demonstrate that this is actually an issue. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on in Arizona, where they have this really egregious thing. They're trying to basically take back the right, um, take back the power to appoint electors to the legislature. Yeah. And, and first to your earlier point. I mean, you're absolutely right that Republicans have basically saying that Democrats only win because of voter fraud for a long time. I think the difference is Trump convinced so many more people that was true in the last election and went to such right. extreme efforts to actually try to overturn the election that, yeah, you know, we had Republicans making these claims beforehand, but we had never seen anyone make so many claims like Donald Trump did with so much prominence and take it to such an extreme. So this was yeah. a dramatic escalation of the lies that the Republican Party has told. Uh, and I think that's what makes this period different than, for example, when I first started covering this issue um, back in, in 2011. But yeah, you're right. Arizona has one of the craziest bills I've seen, which would basically allow the legislature to appoint their own electors anytime they want, no matter what the public actually votes for. Uh, and that's exactly what Donald Trump tried to get them to do. And they were unable to do it because it's illegal, because it would essentially nullify the results of an election, that if they don't like who the voters chose, they would just choose someone else, uh, which would just be an extraordinary power um, to give themselves. Really just a flat out nullification of democracy is, is what it would be. And they introduced a proposal originally to give them the power to do this. There was a lot of pushback for it. So now they've introduced a new proposal based that would say if voters approve it as a ballot initiative, then it would go into effect. Now, why voters would approve an initiative that would take away their own power is completely beyond me. Um, why voters would think that the legislature, not them, should choose 
the the winner of the presidential election. But nonetheless, the fact that they're still pushing this is so extreme. And they even held a committee hearing on it. So it's not like it's just some crackpot proposal that got no traction. It right. at least has advanced to the committee stage. Now, I don't think it's something that it's going to go into effect. I don't even think the Republican governor of the state would sign something like this. But the dangerous thing is, once these radical proposals get out there, there's always a chance, A, it'll pass, B, you convince enough of your constituents that it's important and they start demanding it, or C, other states start copying it. So no matter how crazy these efforts are, I take them all seriously because there's a very good chance that if it doesn't pass in Arizona, they're going to try to do it somewhere else. And you know what? It could very well pass in Arizona when Republicans are in control of all the branches of government there. Yes. Um, and this, this is similar to there's been some very early efforts, and I don't think that they've gotten any, any real traction yet to make a kind of electoral college system in states like Wisconsin, where um, you would appoint electors by um, by district rather than statewide and, um, you know, basically be giving extra power to rural communities and more conservative communities and, and wider communities as well. Um, and, and those things haven't gone very far, but you, and that, that, that could happen. I mean, I, I think you have that, to really watch might be more likely to happen. Something you have to watch. I mean, you look at Wisconsin, for example. I mean, in Wisconsin and in most other states controlled by Republicans at the state level, they drew these crazy gerrymandered districts. Yes. So they're already drawn in such a way that benefits their party, where there's more Republicans than Democrats in the congressional delegations and in the state legislative level because of gerrymandering. And then you'd be basing electoral college votes on that as well. So that that means that would give that would undoubtedly give Joe Biden fewer electoral votes uh, in Wisconsin or in Pennsylvania or in another state if they were to do this. Now, this is going to be hard for them to do in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Michigan as long as there's a Democratic governor in those states, which there will be at least until 2022 when they're up for um, re-election. Um, but they they could try to do it uh, in states where there's um, one party control. And again, I mean, the more you talk about this, it's only it's only a matter of time before someone starts thinking about how to do this. And then they're also trying to go in the opposite direction, which is in Nebraska. They have one congressional district that is votes differently than the rest of the state in Omaha uh, that has its own elector for president. And in fact, Joe Biden carried that district. And so now they're talking about getting rid of that district uh, and just making it vote with the rest of Nebraska because they don't like the fact that the Democrat might win it. They're so egregious. I mean, you know, the overreach is really remarkable. Um, Mark Elias, the Democratic super lawyer, he wrote this on Twitter today. Let me quote. He said, the fact that we are about to be hit with a tidal wave of voter suppression legislation by Republican legislatures throughout the country is the most underreported story right now. The media is unequipped to cover this in clear moral terms and instead prefers to both sides. It. Honestly, I don't think this is true. Not this time. This is something that I frequently lament the, you know, the legacy media, um, both sides and it not reporting these things. But I think that they're doing a pretty good job right now. Uh, to what, what degree do you think it's possible that we'll see a backlash against this? Because there have been, I don't think that there's been any kind of systematic study, but I feel like anecdotally we have seen in recent years that when the voter suppression becomes too explicit and people see like six hour lines to vote in black neighborhoods, but not in white neighborhoods, stuff like that, where it's just like, come on, guys, this is obvious. It actually motivates people. Again, this is um, anecdotal. 
it it has it seems like it has motivated people to go out out of spite and go vote. Um, your thoughts on that? It's a tricky one because if you make the laws so restrictive that people can't vote because of them, then it's hard to create some sort of backlash. Like in Texas, for example, where they say you can only vote by mail. Uh, if you're out of town or you're over 65 or you're in jail, basically, those are the ways you can vote by mail in Texas. Well, that makes it really hard to create a backlash for voting by mail when so many people can't actually do it. That said, if you look at Georgia, let's say Georgia decides to cut early voting. Let's say they decide to restrict mail voting. Let's say they decide to do something that clearly is viewed as targeting Democrats um, or uh, targeting uh, black voters or communities of color. And then let's say you have Stacey Abrams running for governor in 2022. I think you're absolutely going to hear voting rights activists and Democrats say, Republicans don't want us to vote. And that's why it's more important than ever that we turn out to vote. But I also think it's true that if you look at why we had record turnout in the 2020 election, I think it's because people had more options to vote than ever before. Many states expanded mail voting because of the pandemic. Many states allowed early voting in person. And then, of course, you had voting in person on election day. And so the fact that you could choose which one of those options you wanted to use, and you could vote well ahead of time if you were concerned about long lines or social distancing or the pandemic, I think that was one reason why turnout was so high. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in the election. There's a tremendous amount of education. But I think it's it, it makes logical sense, right, Josh, that you give people more options, they're more likely to take advantage of those options. So I start to worry when we have proposals like taking just getting rid of no excuse absentee voting altogether, like in Georgia, I mean, you're you're saying you're going to get rid of something that 1.3 million voters didn't use, but you're also going to cut early voting at the same time, so there's going to be longer lines. So, I mean, are if you can't vote by mail, are you going to choose to then wait in a seven hour line? I mean, you might, but I think you know it's very likely that you also might not uh, if if you if your circumstances don't allow that, or you just don't care about voting that much to begin with, and so. I think it's a fine balance, but I do think that in states where Democrats and voting rights activists have the infrastructure to turn anger into mobilization, this could very well lead to a backlash. Yeah. Well, I would uh, I would urge everybody to encourage their representatives to support H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which is a, a comprehensive package of voter rights reforms, um, transparency and campaign finance. It, it basically does um, a, a, an enormous amount to even out the playing field. Let me try to leave on a, maybe, maybe we can't do a positive note, but a less negative note. Let me ask you this. It seems like a lot of the things that we're talking about are specifically addressed to issues that that were in play in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic and that Trump railed against in 2020. Um, and, and some of these are um, measures that Republicans had not previously taken issue with, like mail-in balloting, for, which is a great example. That definitely skewed Democratic last year because Trump uh, and, and his uh, supporters in the conservative press were saying it was rife with fraud and blah, blah, blah. But in previous elections, it didn't confer an advantage on either party, according to studies. So is it f possible that in fighting the last war, um, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll get a, we'll get a uh, knock on, we'll, we'll get a vaccine uh, and some of the things that they're attacking will be less important when we go to vote next time? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's very possible. I mean, I think mail voting was becoming increasingly popular anyway, um, just because it's such a convenient way uh, to vote. Uh, and it, it was really being embraced by a lot of states on the West Coast by both parties. Um, but I also think it's true that this could backfire on Republicans. There could be a lot of collateral uh, damage here. Uh, a lot of Republicans voted by mail in Georgia in the last election. Yes, more Democrats than Republicans used it, but 450,000 Republicans voted by mail in Georgia. So I would be worried about such a large number of people using a voting method that you're now saying you're going to severely scale back. A ton of Republicans used early voting in states like Iowa, where they now wanted to cut it. The idea that every Republican uh, is not going to take advantage of options that make voting more convenient. It's just simply um, not true. And so I think the Republican Party is being incredibly short-sighted here. There's also, I, I don't necessarily know if I even agree with their premise that when more people vote, they do worse, given that Republicans actually did pretty well in the 2020 election. They won all these House seats. They won all these state legislative races. So they did fine. And they benefited in a lot of ways from higher turnout because they have a lot of white working class voters that also don't turn out all the time. And if you make voting more difficult, some of them might not turn out either. So I think this is a very short-sighted argument um, that the Republican Party is making. I think it could both disenfranchise a lot of their voters, uh, and I think it could also uh, potentially spur a backlash among Democratic voters. But I think that the bigger thing here is that they are making it more difficult to vote for absolutely no reason other than the fact that they lost an election. And, and so that to me is what's so disturbing. And that's the kind of thing that we need to focus on. And the last thing I'll say is, as you mentioned, there's H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and there's also the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. These two bills would go a, a very long way to stopping the kind of efforts that we're talking about. And Democrats actually have the power to pass them. They need to get rid of the filibuster to do it. But Democrats spent so many years complaining about Mitch McConnell and all the things they couldn't do. Well, now they have a majority. Now they see all this voter suppression. They actually have the ability to do something about it. And if they don't do something about it, it's on them for not doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, I have an odd reaction when I see these um, more blatant efforts to restrict the vote. I cheer it on. I, I want them to be as unvarnished and in your face as possible, because I think that that is what will bring um, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema and others who are hesitating to kill the filibuster and pass H.R. 1 and um, H.R. 4 is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, these kinds of the, the more uh, we see naked Republican overreach on voting restrictions, the more pressure there will be on those senators to get their shit together, pardon my language, and um, and level this playing field. So when, when you see these things, a lot of people are upset that they're so blatant. And I'm like, I would be upset if they were more subtle. I want them to be as blatant as possible. Ari Berman, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate it. Folks, check out Ari at uh, motherjones.com. Read the book for sure. Give us the ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Really a must read. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with Heather Digby Parton. Stay tuned. Fellas. 
boys in the back, sweet singers in the front, cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. Suddenly red blue lights flash us from behind. Loud voice booming, please step out onto the line. Ballet bridge words of comfort, singer just hides her eyes. Policeman taps the shades, is that a Chevy 69? How bizarre. Unknown as we're pulling for some gas. Officially placed the poster reveals a smile from the pack. Elephants and acrobats, lion snakes, monkey. Bella speaks righteous, sister Cena says funky. How bizarre! How bizarre! How bizarre! Stuck around, TV news and cameras, there's choppers in the sky. Marines, police, reporters, us, where, far and wide. Bella yells, we're out of here, Tina says, right on. Making moves and starting grooves before they knew we were gone. Jumped into the Chevy, headed for big lights. Wanna know the rest, hey, by the rights, how bizarre. And welcome back. I'm still Joshua Holland, and I'm always happy to have my next guest on the show, Heather Parton, whom you may know as Digby, is a columnist at Salon. And of course, she writes at her own blog, Hullabaloo. Heather, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I've got a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. Um, One is this kind of um, move by Republicans to 
get past the uh, January 6th insurgency of dunces. The Hill reports today, or actually was it, this was not today, I'm sorry. The Hill reported a couple of weeks ago that 42 Republican House members sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi urging her to allow security fencing around the Capitol to be taken down. This was an issue that a number of Republicans brought up this week, which is why I thought the story was from this week, um, in, during hearings about the uh, January 6th insurrection. They were complaining about the fencing. And let me also read this little bit from NBC, and I'll quote, The U.S. Capitol Police plans to maintain its enhanced level of security around the Capitol through at least President Joe Biden's first official address to Congress because intelligence suggests extremists could be planning an attack. And this was uh, the acting chief of the Capitol Police said this um, this week, Uh, quote, we know that members of the militia groups that were present on January have stated their desires that they want to blow up the Capitol and kill as many members as possible with a direct nexus to the State of the Union, which we know that date has not been identified. So, um, you know, it, it seems to me. Oh, one one other item before we just so that we we can dig into this. So Politico also reports that um, in a piece that was uh, yesterday, the piece is titled McConnell throws water, cold water on Dems proposed one six commission. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's bid to create a broad bipartisan review of the January 6th insurrection is in peril after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell slammed the proposal on Wednesday as partisan by design and um republicans are complaining that the uh that the commission the proposed commission is um gonna not be balanced partisan not going to have a balance of partisanship Uh, they point to the 9-11 commission which had an equal number of republicans and democrats and say that that was the formula for its success heather uh, i mean just superficially it seems like um if there were many Al-Qaeda sympathizers in the Senate in 2001, they also would have objected to the 9-11 Commission. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think that's actually a good, um, you know, a, a good analogy there because, and it just occurred to me this morning, actually, it's funny that you brought that up, that I, you know, had, imagine what would have happened in 2001, or I guess 2002 is when they actually ended up putting together the 9-11 commission yeah you know had there been you know a, this kind of you know ridiculous objection if, if somehow i don't know and, and say the democrats for instance had come out and said absolutely not we don't want any commission that doesn't also look into um you know timothy mcveigh and you know what he did back in 1997 which is essentially what 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 uh, Mitch McConnell was saying this week. He wants them to look, he says, if you're going to do this, we have to look into Black Lives Matter protests over the summer and what happened in Portland. And so, you know, I mean, basically throwing cold water on it because that's absurd. And, you know, it, it makes literally makes no sense. It's under some broad rubric that they're calling, quote, political violence. And, you know, essentially they know that the Democrats aren't going to go along with that, nor would it be even possible to do such a such a commission. And imagine if Democrats had done that back in 2002 and said, we just, you know, we just don't want to do that. I mean, the, the, the outcry would have been, you know, outrageous. And, and, you know, the idea somehow that this particular event 
is not a big enough deal that we need to you know, do something specific, you know, is some kind of major investigation with all the tools that we would that we gave to like the 9/11 commission and you know, or the Warren commission or something like that is just it's it's insane and it just tells you exactly where they are. I mean, Mitch McConnell these people were the targets. I mean, if that crowd had found Mitch McConnell, I'm not sure they wouldn't have done their worst to him, too. They were certainly stalking Mike Pence, the vice president, during this during this event. They were targeting the Congress and the Congress, the Republicans in the Congress are saying, yeah, well, no big deal. You know, we'd, let's just move along here, which is, is just stunning. I mean, if you if you go and, you know, try and hurl yourself into the future just a few years and look back on that, people are going to be going, What? What in the world were they thinking? They had, a, you know, they stormed the Capitol. They stalked members of Congress. I mean, they were pounding on the doors. And the idea that they just didn't, they wanted to drop it afterwards is perhaps the greatest sign, in my view, of just how far down the rabbit hole these Republicans are. And and I got to tell you, uh, you know, throughout the Trump years, I had sort of said, look, when he's, if we can get rid of him in 2020, and the Democrats can take control. They have to do a lot of investigating, a lot of oversight, you know, a, a true audit of everything that went wrong. And, you know, I said this over and over again, kind of in the back of my mind going, well, good luck with that. And now I just sort of feel like it's just a lost cause. I will be very surprised if anything happens with this um, January 6th commission. I just don't see how it can happen. I, I think the president could um, create a blue ribbon presidential commission, something like that. And but I don't think they'd have subpoena power. I think this, the Congress has to pass that law, if I'm not mistaken. And maybe the Department of Justice will look. But you know what it looks like to me, Josh? It looks to me like it's going to be like Abu Ghraib, where a few of the low level grunts who are involved in it, there'll be some proud boys and some others who will do some time. Yeah, they're going to get the idiots. Yeah. And the, the bad apples. Right. And, but the the big picture, it's just, you know, we're just going to skate through it. And it just that's depressing, not to mention dangerous. I just don't think that this is the end, because as you say, they're getting intelligence that says they want to blow up the Capitol. So I, maybe that's what it'll take for Republicans to, to, you know, decide that maybe something should be done, but I don't even know then. I mean, this seems like it was close enough, but you know, so here we are. It's, it's hard to wrap one's head around how shamefully irresponsible this is. And, um, you know, this is, they are, um, trying to change the topic to their conspiracy theories about Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests. Let me make something clear to listeners. The, the majority of violence at Black Lives Matter protests were against Black Lives Matter protesters. They were the victims <laughs> of the lion's share of violence, and the perpetrators were the same people who stormed the Capitol, right? Most of the violence surrounding the Black Lives Matter protests were by opponents of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, especially if you include, obviously, police violence. And uh, it's just outrageous that they continue to spin this nonsense. I mean, they they literally had Andy No um, testify in this House committee hearing. Andy No, for those listeners who don't know, is a 
right wing. He claims to be a journalist. He is a propagandist and a sympathizer with these far right groups. Uh, he has been uh, distorting what has go- been going on in, in Portland and elsewhere on the West Coast for years. He was caught coordinating with Proud Boys, uh, lost his job at Quillette of all places over over those allegations. And they have him in Congress claiming that in Portland, stuff that like the Capitol assault happens every day. It is mind boggling, mind boggling that this is going on. And, uh, you know, in, in, in the meantime, you have people like Senator Ron Johnson is is saying that the that Antifa, Antifa was behind the Capitol riot. Uh, it got to the point where you had the far right members of the far right were furious about their own um, um, bullshitters taking the credit away from them and giving it to Antifa. <laughs> that was uh, something that was reported, I think, by the Daily Beast this week, that they're in, that some of them were incensed uh, that Antifa was being blamed. They were like, no, they were we were patriots. We were there. We were patriots. We were doing this on behalf of <laughs> Donald Trump. It's um it, it is really remarkable that they, there is no bottom. They don't seem to sense like, okay, we've gotten people killed with this. We've got, we've literally gotten people killed. Maybe we should back off a little bit. Um, and, and they won't do it. It's just, it's, it is just amazing to me. It is just amazing. And the, you know, well, the you know that gaslighting up- is such, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I, can I was ramble. just going to, just going to point out that- Oh no no! So as as can I, <laughs> but yeah, I was just go going ahead. to point out one one thing that I think is obvious is that you know at, they're, what they're trying to determine here in these in these hearings in Congress this week is the you know the breakdown among the authorities. Uh, you know why weren't the National Guard called in? Why did why weren't they better prepared? What happened with the intelligence failure, et cetera, et cetera? All of which is is you know important to get on the record. There's been it's very vague and obscure everything that kind of happened around this thing. Uh, you know we've never really had a good sort of, you know, briefing even from the authorities about the violence and the deaths and, you know, what 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 actually happened. So, you know, this much is is good, but it, it seems clear to me that what happened really with the, quote, intelligence failure and whatever is that the authorities, having feel it, felt burned by the criticism that happened in June over the George Floyd protests in Washington and Donald Trump's little photo op where they, you know, basically assaulted peaceful protesters so that they could clear the way for his, his, you know, photo. Um, That criticism that came, it basically, it seems to me, and maybe I'm, I'm interpreting this uh, ungenerously, but it seems to me that what they did was say, hey, okay, you don't want us to come in, we're not going to come in. And so we're just going to, you know, we're going to lay back and look, these are a bunch of white people. They're not, you know, they're Trump people dressed up in funny clothes and we don't really have to worry about them. And anyway, you told us to stay back, so we're going to stay back. And I honestly have a feeling that that's where the attitude was coming from, particularly with the National Guard. And, you know, I, the, the fact that I don't know about the Capitol Police, I mean, I think they seem to be a little bit hapless in this whole thing, unprepared for any kind of violence. But, um, you know, this this idea that that somehow or another it was just miscommunication, it may have been 
but I, I think there was an attitude there of, you know, you wanted us out, so we're out and let's, you know, let the worst happen and maybe you'll think twice. And that's all, you know, part of this whole storyline. I mean, to that extent, the way that we have dealt, the way that the authorities have dealt with Black Lives Matter and the way that they dealt with this and extremist violence uh, in general in which, you know, that has been, you know, there's been tons and tons of, of data supporting the idea that this is the greatest terrorist threat in America, and that's been going on for quite a while, that they, um, you know, that they feel that, that, you know, that somehow is not as important as, you know, Black Lives Matter, which you, of course, you know, aptly pointed out that the, most of the violence was toward the protesters, not the other way around. So anyway, to me, that seems to be, you know, some part of the issue that perhaps the Republicans are reluctant to uh, get too far into. And one reason why they want to, you know, kind of sweep everything under the rug. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to find out, I think we need to really get a, 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 a comprehensive investigation because it could be, as you say, that they had been burned by the criticism um, of their response to the, the Black, Lives, Black Lives Matter protests outside the White House um, for Trump's and Trump's photo op and all of that. Um, and it could be something more nefarious. I mean, I, I, there were those last sure. minute um, uh, appointments to the Department of Defense, Trump loyalists, some really extreme people like Cash Patel. Um, who used to be, who used to work for Devin Nunes and was, you know, this very prominent nut job. Um, so we, we need to find out exactly uh, what was going on. But, you know, the tendency to sweep it under the rug, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, so I want to apologize to listeners for saying it again. But it just while we're talking about this degree of irresponsibility, you know, remember that there was a Department of Homeland Security report that said right-wing extremism was the greatest threat, the greatest uh, terrorism threat that we faced that was pilloried by conservatives who elided the difference between extremists and, you know, mainstream Republicans. And that line may be fuzzy, but the reality is that these um, intelligence agencies do not care about you shit posting on Twitter. They are looking for violent extremists, right? <laughs> They're looking for organized violent extremists. And um, so what they did was they, they um, demagogued this effort um, to, to increase our vigilance towards violent right-wing extremism. Uh, they said it was a, an effort to, target conservatives and um we let our guard down that is the national security establishment let its guard down look at what happened and now they're doing the exact same thing again exact same thing and it's just it's like god man you're you're are you trying to get people killed Well, you have to wonder, don't you? I mean, you know, this political violence and it's, you know, this right wing political violence. I mean, this whole they built up this idea that Antifa was something. And really, you know, it's a bunch of people who shouldn't even say a bunch. It's a handful of people uh, clustered in in places like Portland and Berkeley 
um, who, you know, basically have a, you know, a, an idea of themselves as, you know, fighting the good fight against uh, this right wing extremism. And it's not an organized group. And we know all that and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the fact that you have these extremists and the way that they have threatened people watching this post-election period, where these people like the the guy down in Georgia, I can't remember, I think his name was Stur- Gabriel Sterling, who was one of the officials down there who was in charge of the vote counting, talk about the threats that he got. The Secretary of State, across the board, these people are, under you know, what people have come to understand, and I think some people even in Congress have come to understand, is that, you know, there is a violent group out there <laughs> that is that is threatening them if they don't toe the line. And, you know, that I think that hovers yeah. over everything. You know, I mean, there, there, I'm sure that, I mean, there are plenty of people in the Republican Party, officials, who are, you know, who are totally for this. I mean, I think they, they're on the same page. They're following the same program. They are within the Trump cult, 100% true believers. And they don't have anything to fear from these people because they are these people. But there's a whole bunch of other ones who are just kind of going, whoa, you know, I didn't know I was signing on for this. And they are just going along because the price of not going along is, is tremendous fear. I mean, they gather outside their houses, they do. And it's, and it's, and because this is a violent group, it's not like somebody telling Sarah Huckabee Sand, you know, Sanders that, you know, gee, we'd like you to leave the restaurant and we'll pick up the tab. You know, it's not, it's not that kind of thing, which is basically sort of social ostracization. This is, these are direct violent threats, people carrying guns and doing this. So, you know, that's a whole new thing, I think. I mean, I don't know that I've ever felt that. I mean, I've been feeling the, I mean, the fact that, you know, back in the, in the, during the uh, town hall protests over Obamacare, people would show up at the at the rallies and, and go to those things and they'd be armed. Right. And I always I used to write about it a lot, you know, kind of this is the Second Amendment trumping the First Amendment, because when somebody comes along with a gun, you, you don't really have any First Amendment rights, do you, if he's pointing a gun at your head? So, you know, the, right. that that has been happening but this is new. It's sort of it's kind of a, a global feeling that, you know, if you speak out and you, you, you go against the the you know the the mainstream of the Republican Party now, which is the Trump cult, you know, you are basically taking your life in your hands. And that demonstration on January sixth kind of showed what that was all about, right? It was sort of a hey, look. Look at us. Look what we can do. And uh, now I think there's even more fear. I mean, look at the way these people are are folding. I mean, even Mitch McConnell, who thought he was going to get up there and say, say a few words and write an op-ed to try and soothe the big donors and keep them from from balking. Um, Even he, you know, he's back in the fold again. And, you know, you got this CPAC thing coming up this weekend and and you know that that's just going to be a basic celebration of Donald Trump. So. You know, this thing is in, yeah, and in, and the perpetration, and and they're also going to continue the big lie about the election. Oh, of that's going to be four days of that at CPAC, right? There's no, almost no question about that. Yeah, it's um, it's just a deeply disturbing time. Heather, I think we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'd also like to thank Ari Berman and uh, David Edwards, our producer and engineer. Uh, I'd like to thank the good folks at Alternate and Raw Story for supporting the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall, and you can subscribe to the show 
uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, I'd like to thank all of you good people for tuning in. Have a terrific week. I cannot hide my cards, dear. Can't even keep them close. I've seen how swiftly thoughts can collect. Oh